Hello everyone, my name is Sophia and welcome back to another episode of Project Oyster. Our guest today is actually not a current gun student, but a 2017 alumni who's currently studying psychology not that far away from here at Stanford. Her name is Chloe Sorensen, and perhaps you recognize that name from her four years of participation on SEC, including being ASB president her senior year, or the many other mental health initiatives she played a role in during her high school years. Since graduating, she has started her own organization called Youth United for Responsible Media Representation, which she will be talking about more, more of later on. Outside of all of this, she also likes reading, but also enjoying a healthy amount of Netflix. <laughs> Hello, Chloe. So how was your summer and what have you been up to lately? Uh, it's been good. It's been very unstructured, which is a little bit scary. Uh, I actually got a research grant from Stanford and I've been mm-hmm. working on my own qualitative research study, uh, which sounds official, but I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, so you have the money, but... Yeah, so they gave me some money and then basically just sent me out there to do research, uh, which I've never done before. But I've definitely been learning a ton and I've been like traveling all over the country to talk to different journalists about mental health, which has been really interesting. And I just feel like it's expanded my horizons and like my thinking about this topic a lot. Yeah, so we'll definitely, I'll definitely be asking you more yeah. questions about that later on. So I know that you've definitely participated in many, in many mental health orientated initiatives since your high school years. So actually, what sparked your dedication to helping this issue in your whole journey, I guess? Um, I think, so I started at Gun in 2013, which feels like a really long time ago. Um, and I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was at Gun, and I got involved in student government, like you said, um, ended up going out on a limb and like running for freshman vice president, I think. <laughs> um, and I ended up getting involved in leadership in kind of that sense. And then when I was a sophomore, um, which was 2014, November of 2014, there was a suicide uh, at Gun, and that was kind of what triggered a lot of big conversations in the community about mental health and suicide and how to help students and make sure that we're supporting them in the best way possible. Um, And that was obviously a really tumultuous time in the community. I think that I, it was one of those days where like you kind of know that nothing's going to be the same um, moving on. And I think I didn't really know how to deal with it. And my way of kind of coping with that grief and coping with that pain was to try and channel it into something that positive. Um, and one of my best friends from like elementary school, middle school, high school, um, he was the year above me at Gun, and we actually are neighbors. So he lived across the street from me and we'd go on these runs around the block. Um, neither of us are very good at running. So we'd actually end up just like walking uh, and have these like long two hour walks in the middle of the night. Uh, which is kind of sketchy, but we would talk a lot about kind of what we saw that big issues were for students um, and how we wanted the school to address them. And we started thinking of kind of small scale projects to improve student wellness. Uh, and that eventually led us to form the Student Wellness Committee at Gun. Um, and so the two of us, plus two other friends from SEC, brought it to Dr. Herman, who was the principal at the time. Um, And she was very supportive and she was like, okay, I want to support you guys. And from there on, we were just working with the administration and the school board and the staff um, to work on these projects to improve student well-being. So like a big part of that was advocating for the wellness center, which didn't exist um, back then and advocating for like mental health awareness campaigns and stuff, different like activities on campus. Um, So was that all your sophomore year? Yes. So that was all actually like November, December of my sophomore year. Uh, And January was actually kind of when things picked up because at the end of January um, in 2015, there was another suicide at gun. 
Um, and I remember a few days after that, I went to a school board meeting, which Hannah knows are super fun. Um, <laughs> and I spoke at, they have something called open forum where you can talk about whatever you want for three minutes. Okay. Um, and so I put my name in, didn't know what I was going to say, kind of went up there and then just talked about my experience as a gun student and what I saw as like the greatest needs um, for, for students, students at gun. I see. So that was like more mental health resources, things like a wellness center, uh, more support for teachers, more support for students. Um, and that, I did not realize that at the time, mm-hmm. but that kind of changed a lot of things for me because um, I sat down and then a reporter from the Palo Alto Weekly who actually wrote about Project Oyster a few weeks ago, oh, um, yeah. Elena, she, yeah like tapped me on the shoulder and she's like, hey, I'd really like to publish your remarks in the paper tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Okay. <laughs> um, and I had like no experience with like public relations or like, I don't know, writing for the media. Uh, but I sent her like a draft of my comments and then it was in the Palo Alto Weekly. And then that kind of got a lot more attention than I was expecting. And I started getting calls from other media outlets, so other local outlets, but then also KQED or NPR did a story, mm-hmm. which I had to miss chem class for. Was um, it worth it? It was worth it. You know, <laughs> I don't know anything about chemistry to this day, so maybe I should have been in chem. But um, and then, like the you know, the publications just kept getting bigger and bigger. It's like the New York Times and the Atlantic and all of these different outlets were writing stories about Palo Alto. Um, and that's kind of what launched me even further into mental health advocacy is because other people in the community began seeing my name, um, as kind of like a student that they could reach out to. Um, and so I got like more and more opportunities to get involved with like mental health initiatives at Stanford and at the psychiatry department and then at, uh, Lucille Packard Children's Hospital and with other like local mental health organizations. So that's kind of what like catapulted me into all of this the mental health advocacy world um and since then it's honestly just snowballed snowballed so end of story is like it's all an accident (laughs) a happy accident that i am happy happened i see so um that was wow that's a lot for just your sophomore year which is incredible yeah um so what happened after that like your junior year Um, So my junior year, I was continuing to do a lot of that work, um, kind of expanding it to the rest of the community. So I was still doing work at Gunn and SEC um, and on a wellness, like on the wellness committee at Gunn. Um, But my junior year, I started kind of expanding that and working with something called the Stanford Center for Youth Mental Health and Wellbeing, which is run by a psychiatrist at Stanford named Dr. Adelsheim. Um, And he's been really a key figure in this community in creating something it now has a name It's called all cove. Um, and it's going to be a chain of integrated youth mental health centers, um, that they're trying, they're starting in Santa Clara County, but the goal is to eventually expand across the United States where young people ages 12 to 25 can gain access to mental health care. Um, I and saw that on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was. So low cost or free of charge from in most cases and young people can access services without parental consent, which is a really big issue. Um, when I was in high school, and I'm sure still is, is that it's really hard to access mental health care if you don't have your parents on board. Um, and so I worked a lot to fundraise for that initiative. And that's kind of how I got connected to Lucille Packard Children's Hospital. And we, me and Steve Adelsheim, the psychiatrist, we ended up raising, I think, 
three and a half million dollars for uh, Lucille Packard to like go towards those like teen mental health initiatives uh, in the community, which was, I was not expecting that, that that's at insane. all. insane. I can't, I don't even understand how much money that is. I yeah. Uh, it was a room full of a lot of very wealthy people. <laughs> um, well, I could buy you a house in Polo also. Yeah. Um, barely. <laughs> but, um, my junior year, I definitely was doing a lot. I, <laughs> yeah. I was still, I was junior class president um, and I had also joined yearbook and I was taking eight classes, which actually isn't really possible. Like I had to take a class off campus just to like fulfill all my requirements with student government and everything. Um, and I think I was just really, I was doing a lot. And towards the end of second semester, I was kind of starting to lose my footing. And I think, you know, you can pile up so much and I could be doing all of that, but that doesn't mean you should be doing all of that. Um, And I think I told myself that like, oh, I'm fine. I'm doing fine. I'm like, this is okay. Um, And being in the mental health world can be confusing sometimes because people are always like, yeah, take time for yourself. And you feel like you're doing that, but it's hard to make sure that you're actually doing that. So it's like you're advocating for something that you weren't necessarily doing yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think all of that changed my second half of junior year kind of had like this big crisis where everything came crumbling down Um, because second semester was just kind of hard in general. I was really stressed about running for student body president, which in hindsight doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but um, it was something that was really important to me and it was a really tight race. Uh, And I was like still taking all these classes, like taking that ACT, I think that's what you do your junior year. (laughs) I don't even remember. Uh, doing things like that. And then just kind of had like a series of personal crises starting in March. Um, a few people in my like close circle, like passed away. Um, and then at the end of April, there was another suicide. Um, and that was actually an alumni. And I didn't think that much of it at first because the superintendent sent out an email saying, oh, an alumni died by suicide. And I kind of just assumed like, oh, it's an alumni. I probably don't know them. Um, and I remember getting a phone call like a few hours later from one of my best friends, Malcolm. Um, and he was t- calling to check in, then make sure I was okay. And like halfway through the conversation, he realized that I didn't know who it was and that I didn't know that it was our friend, Sarah. Um, and so that... Like, I remember that day just being in total shock. Like, I remember, like, lying in my bed and then just, like, staring at the ceiling Um, and kind of not knowing what to do because it was a weekend. Um, So there was kind of not, like, the usual support system I had. I'm, like, actually miss Gunn a lot because I think I had a really great support system there. And I remember going to school on Monday and feeling like I was kind of the only person really affected in a big way because I think a lot of like almost nobody else in my grade knew this person. Um, And so going to school that day, I just remember like feeling like once again, like everything had changed. Uh, And I kind of didn't know how to deal with it. Like I had dealt with suicide, but I hadn't dealt with a suicide that close to me. Um, Like on the more personal level. Yeah. And I think, I felt like we had made so much progress in the community in terms of increasing access to mental health care and increasing access to resources. Um, And my friend was actually like, she was receiving treatment and to know that kind of that can happen and still not be enough 
mm-hmm. I think was a really big breaking point for me. Um, and I kind of, like I said, I was juggling a lot. And at a certain point that juggling became <laughs> impossible and I kind of started letting things slip. And so my mental health started to really kind of, I started struggling a lot more. Um, couldn't engage in school the same way. Couldn't keep my grades up. Like mm-hmm. couldn't, I was constantly asking for extensions and then getting stressed out by the fact that I was just prolonging the stress mm-hmm. <laughs> of those projects. Um, and I kind of realized that like everything I was doing wasn't sustainable. Um, and that's kind of when I reached like, this realization like okay things need to change and I need to start like practicing what I'm preaching, preaching. and start a mental health in, in terms of mental health so um I heard so you sent me like a little script and I read the whole mm-hmm. thing so you talked about how you actually um eventually found help and you decided to go see a therapist so if you're comfortable talking about that and like sharing your experiences I think that could be helpful for anyone who's listening to this and maybe like concerned about like I guess going to actually go find help or talk to someone mm-hmm. so what was your experience like Yeah, so the road to therapy, I had always been a firm believer in therapy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, everybody should go to therapy. But my myself wasn't going to therapy just because I think there's a stigma that if you don't have like a diagnosed mental health issue, for sure, or if your problems like aren't quote unquote bad enough, then you don't deserve to go to therapy. And I think especially because I was so acutely aware of the lack of adequate resources for so many people, it Mm -hmm. felt almost like selfish. selfish to take to ask for help when I felt like, oh, maybe my problems aren't as bad. Like someone else needs it more than me or something. Yeah. Or like I have all these things going for me. Mm -hmm. Why do I feel like I'm entitled to these services? Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, I was lucky to have a really, really strong support system at Gunn. Um, One of the people who really, I was about to say came in clutch, but that makes me sound lame. (laughs) was uh she's not the assistant principal anymore but she was the assistant principal my junior and senior year and her name is miss stevenson but i i call her delirium because she once uh told me that nothing rhymes with miriam and i proved her wrong and to this day i still call her delirium and it feels weird to call her anything else but uh she i had gotten to know her um through my work on sec and i was actually on the selection committee that hired her. So I had like met her at the very beginning and kind of started to form a relationship with her. And then I'm not allowed to swear. I'm like, <laughs> when stuff hit the fan, <laughs> uh, my second semester of junior year, she became a really, really important resource in my life. Um, and she would like text me to make sure it was okay. And we'd have these like late night conversations. Sometimes she'd like stay up talking to me. Um, and like in the morning, she'd like make sure I was getting up and going to school and she would like give me food to convince me to stay at school <laughs> and like was just really like a constant source of strength for me. And I think she was a really important ally to have. Um, and she was one of the people who was very instrumental in like getting me to take that first step towards treatment. Mm-hmm. And I think those allies can be really important because I do think it's when you're accessing mental health care for the first time, it's really hard to know where to start. Yeah. Um, and so to have kind of like a trusted adult kind of walk me through that process. And I was also very fortunate to be connected to a lot of psychiatrists just through my work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Steve Adelsheim, the person I mentioned earlier, he matched me with a therapist at Stanford. Um, 
and that changed my life. Yeah. I think I started seeing her. I actually joke with my boyfriend because I started dating my boyfriend the same day I saw my therapist uh, for the first time. So I always joke that we have like the same anniversary as like the two most important people. Aww, that's cute. <laughs> but uh, I started seeing her in May of my junior year and that was um, a real turning point. Like I remember not knowing what to expect. I had never done anything like therapy. Um, and my first session was like two hours, which is a long time to like yeah. sit and talk about your feelings. And I remember like I told her like everything about my life, everything about my family, everything that I'd like done in my 17 years of life uh-huh. like yeah. that far. And then at the end, she was just like, Chloe, like you just told me like all of these great things about your life and all of these like really hard things that you went through. But you didn't tell me anything about how you how feel. You feel. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> but... Uh, I kind of realized like I was just suppressing all the feelings that I'd been bottling up for all these years about um, my feelings about suicide and about this loss and like multiple losses that I experienced in the last few months. And I think she was really instrumental in like forcing me to feel things. Like at one point she was like, Chloe, I want you to just go schedule an hour every week and just cry and like let it all out which I thought was kind of weird but then I did it and it helped a ton (laughs) um and to this day sometimes I'm like maybe I should just go cry in the dark by myself I feel that sometimes yeah Um, I think it helps for sure crying yeah and we did a lot of work around kind of just like identifying things that were triggers for me and I had a really hard time um with like the Caltrain was a really big trigger for me uh and so we did a lot of work around that and kind of just like slowly filtering through all of these feelings um, over the course of a couple of months. Um, But I actually, I still see her every week. I'm seeing her in a few days. Um, And she's been kind of just like a really key figure in my life as I navigate all of these different challenges and obstacles, but also like high points of my life and low points of my life. And kind of like, it's really great to have one person who you can just say anything to Mm -hmm. and not really have to, filter and I think um that relationship has taught me a lot about the work I do in mental health and what I want to do in the future um because I do think I want to go into that profession eventually because I do think that that kind of like authentic human connection when that relationship when you get it right Mm -hmm. can be one of the, the most like powerful things um and so that's been kind of a really key thing in my life like for the past three years um and yeah I still see her so I guess you you do recommend like therapy isn't just a thing or for like the people who have like the worst issues no not at all and I think I grappled with that a lot Mm -hmm. um because like I said the thing that first got me into therapy was this really big life stressor like my friend died by suicide um And then there was a few other like major life stressors that I was like dealing with. And then after a while, I reached this point where I was kind of stable Mm -hmm. and I was like, well, so should I stop going to therapy? Like, am I wasting her time? Like all these different things. Um, And I never stopped because I realized that like it made such a difference in my mental health um, Mm -hmm. and having that resource was something that really helped me. And I didn't want to give that up. I think. Um, And I think she helped me see that like therapy isn't just for people who are struggling. Like honestly, anybody could benefit from therapy. And I think I've learned a lot about myself and like what I want in life 
through that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, like I know that not all people have a great experience in therapy. And I think it is really difficult to find the right match sometimes. And I think I was very fortunate that the first person I saw was. was a really good fit for me. Um, and I've since had experience because she's been on leave a few times. I've since had experience with other therapists. Um, and I've realized like, oh, not every therapist is like a perfect match. And I think to people who try and it doesn't work out, I would say like have the courage to try again if you can find that in yourself. Mm-hmm. Because I think um, once you find the right person, it can be a really powerful thing. I just think your story is really interesting because in general, most guests that we've had on this show, um, people who have talked about their personal mental health journeys, they've all been people who, I guess, were not very educated about mental health in the beginning. So like they didn't know where to start or they had, mm-hmm. they basically had no connections and like no idea what they were doing essentially. But it's interesting because you were already, you know, you had all these resources and you were like, you, you know, you weren't, quote unquote, you weren't practicing what you were preaching. Mm-hmm. And so... I just think that's that's very interesting. Yeah, and I think that's still a struggle to this day. Um, figuring out how to take care of yourself is really difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think there's kind of the, like, superficial things, like, oh, I'm going to take time to, like, myself. But, like, what you're doing with that time is kind of important. Like, are you really allowing yourself to be, like, authentic and, like, feel what you need to feel? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's still... <laughs> a struggle for me to this day is like allowing feelings to exist even when they're difficult um, and really making sure I'm like being kind to myself and like giving me that space because I think it's really challenging to do that. So, well, okay. After your very long, like, well, so much happened in just these two years. (laughs) I suppose a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So after dealing with all of, you know, your own mental health journey and, you know, finding help for yourself. You started the organization Youth United for Responsible Media Representation once you were in college. Um, So what is the goal of this organization? Where did the idea come from, all of that? Yeah, so Youth United, um, like I said, when I was in high school, there was kind of all of this media coverage of Palo Alto. Um, And I don't know if you guys have read like that Atlantic cover story that went live Mm -hmm. a few years ago and like, There's stories in San Francisco Magazine and the New York Times and all these different publications. So it wasn't just this community anymore that people were reading about this. It was like the whole country and even like internationally. Like I'll meet students at Stanford who are like from Turkey who have heard of gun. Um, And a lot of times when I tell people that I went to gun, they'll that's how they know me Um, and that's how they know our school. And I think um, it's. It was really interesting to see how the media, how their portrayal of our community and the issues we have in this community and like compare that portrayal to like what my lived experience was and what my friends like lived experiences were. Um, And I think in general, the media tended to sensationalize a lot and really focus on kind of these more negative aspects like death and like sadness and like people not knowing what to do when in reality there was actually a lot of really great things happening in the community and there was a lot of positive progress and change um that wasn't being talked about Mm -hmm. and that was kind of like my what sparked my initial interest in like this intersection of like mental health in the media and then 
once I got to Stanford, I had a writing professor who really um, encouraged me to explore that from a more academic lens. And so I did this research project um, halfway through my first year at Stanford, uh, where I looked at all of the previous media coverage and I compared it to kind of the research literature on media representations of mental health. And um, basically, there's a lot of research that shows that the way that we talk about suicide and mental illness um, can have a really big impact on suicide rates. So when the media portrays suicide in a way that kind of is sensational or graphic or goes into excessive detail, that can actually trigger an increase in suicide. Um, so whenever there's a big celebrity suicide, so like Avicii or Robin Williams or Kate Spade or Anthony Bourdain, um, there's a lot of research that shows like immediately after those celebrity deaths, there's a ton of media coverage. And then there's also a big spike in suicides. Um, and so I kind of became interested because, because of that link between those two things, um, there's a lot of, there are these guidelines in place um, for media professionals who are writing or reporting on suicide. Um, and it's on the internet at reportingonsuicide.org. And it's like very clear cut guidelines about how to talk about mental health in a safe way. Um, but a lot of people don't get it right. And I was interested in why aren't they getting it right? Um, and how can we get it right? Because there's more research that shows that when you talk about it the right way, you can actually save lives. Um, so when you're having conversations about mental health in a way that focuses more on recovery or resilience or resources that are available for people who are struggling um, and doesn't just paint it as this like hopeless issue, uh, that suicide rates can actually decrease. Um, and so I was really interested in kind of figuring out how to shift the narrative in that direction um, and increase the number of positive portrayals of mental health. So like this podcast is a really good example of what you should be doing. Um, Whereas a show like 13 Reasons Why has gotten a lot of heat recently um, because the way that they portray suicide has actually been shown to, or has been linked to a significant increase, like a 28% increase in youth suicide in the U.S. Um, so I started um, Youth United because... Sorry. That's, <laughs> uh, I started Youth United in December because I was really interested in... Um, like I said, changing that conversation. And I think I was feeling kind of disengaged from the work, all the really great mental health work I had done in high school. Like I think transitioning to college, despite being a mile from gun, yeah. um, was difficult. And I think um, I didn't feel as like connected or as engaged in my work as I did when I was in high school. And so I was looking for a way to kind of do my own thing and like work on something that was meaningful to me. So I essentially just like, started a website mm -hmm. like I did a free trial <laughs> for a website and then just like created it and then um I like rallied some other youth advocates in the community that I knew and I was like hey do you guys want to work on this with me and mm -hmm. I was surprised that like a lot of people were actually really interested mm -hmm. um and since then we've been trying to engage local media um we've been doing educational workshops in journalism programs at like the different high schools um, and we've also been presenting at conferences and writing to journalists who are doing it right, writing to journalists who are maybe need some feedback. <laughs> um, and at the same time, also trying to spread 
more positive narratives around mental health. So we have a blog um, where we feature different people talking about their experiences, kind of similar to Project Oyster, but in like written form. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's been really interesting to me. I think it's been a really, really great experience for me to try and launch my own thing and like see what happens. And I've been really um, pleasantly surprised with like how much it's taken off and kind of how much, how many people we've reached. So you definitely think like you guys have been making a difference and you guys will continue to. I mean, small, but mighty. Like I think when you start with anything, you start small and expand it. And that's what happened in the beginning with my mental health advocacy is like I gave one speech at a school board meeting and then that just like exploded my whole world. Yeah. Um, And so I think taking that risk and just kind of like throwing myself into this project um, has been really rewarding. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of didn't, I didn't know that if people would be interested, but um, we've actually gotten a lot of like positive engagement, not only from the community, but also from journalists. Um, and like I said, the research that I'm doing this summer is linked to Youth United. And I've been talking to journalists around the country about how they engage with the issue of mental health. Um, and so that has been really rewarding, too. So I guess like that's the project you're working on right now. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, could you say a little more about it? Yeah. So. Again, I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's a qualitative research study. Uh And essentially, like qualitative research is really about storytelling in a lot of ways, which is what drew me to it. I think more so than like statistics and data and like that kind of thing. I'm interested in the more kind of touchy-feely human side of research. Um, And so I took a qualitative research methods class at Stanford, and that kind of helped me develop this project. Um, And... It was inspired by everything I went through in high school and it was inspired by the work with Youth United. But what I really wanted to try and understand with this project is how can we better support the media and journalists um, to engage with these issues more effectively? Because personally, I don't believe that like media professionals have bad intentions. I think um, they either just like weren't trained on how to deal with these things. Like I think it's a relatively... Um, like most journalists don't regularly write about mental health. Um, and so knowing how to tackle it appropriately isn't something that like is ingrained in every journalism program across the United States. Um, and I think I am just really interested in figuring out like what resources we can create to help people, um, do a better job and have more positive conversations about these kinds of things. Um, and it's definitely been a very different angle to the work. Like I, In my advocacy work, I can kind of like say what I think and like be very out there with my opinions, where with research, it's really more about asking open-ended questions and being very neutral and then listening and understanding their experiences. Um, So I went to New York for a few weeks and I talked to reporters at like the New York Times and the Huffington Post and then also a bunch of small local reporters um, in Ithaca, which is where Cornell is. Um, And it's been... Very interesting. I can't give any conclusions because I haven't analyzed the data yet, but um, it's been really interesting to kind of engage with media professionals from a very like neutral perspective perspective and kind of not bring my personal experience into the conversation as much um, and really just like listen authentically and like allow them to kind of share their experiences with me.
That's very interesting. Like, I definitely want to see. Like, you're probably going to write a report on this, you know, at the end. Yeah, hopefully. So hopefully you're supposed to like do that. that. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely be interested in I guess, like, I think you're doing very important research, and it definitely um, will probably be affecting, you know, how we cover, how the media covers issues like mental health in the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, Chloe, for coming in today and, you know, sharing your entire journey with us. <laughs> um, like, all the work, as I said, you put into mental health is, like, definitely incredible, and I think you're definitely helping people out there. Um, and that's very amazing. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add, I guess? promote yourself <laughs> um i mean follow responsible media for youth uh-huh. on instagram because we need those followers uh-huh. uh i think we have like 150 very mighty but, <laughs> um no i mean thank you for having me i think that like what you guys are doing is really important and actually is like a perfect example of like what we should be doing and the conversations that we should be starting around mental health and i think i feel very fortunate to have grown up in a community that is more open than others about these issues. And obviously that was, that kind of stemmed from tragedy, but I think that I'm really grateful to still be in Palo Alto and still be doing this work and still be having these conversations with people like you guys and people um, who are doing mental health work in the community. So thank you so much. That was very nice. Um, Yeah, so thank you for coming in today. Um, If Chloe's story has inspired you to seek help with your own struggles, there are many resources available to you. Visit our website at studioprojectoyster.com to get access to many 24-hour crisis texts and call lines. Our team is also currently working hard to line up future guest speakers and stories, but we need your help. Email us at studio.projectoyster at gmail.com to possibly get selected to be a speaker.